First the thing. The beginning of a conversation. I'm Hadley. And I'm Susie. And today we're going to be talking about our culture's true crime obsession and our own true crime stories, I guess. Yeah, um, we kind of, it's not like we've bonded over true crime like other people have, but it's just something that we found that we have both have an interest in and Hadley mm-hmm. put me on the podcast my favorite murder, which we've probably mentioned every single episode since we've started. <laughs> we've a lot. They've yes. inspired us a lot too. I feel like we've we've gotten a lot of ideas from them, especially like the episode naming scheme of taking mm-hmm. something weird or funny that we said in an episode and having that be the title. And they're just really funny and fun to listen to. Yeah, and, like, I think they have good takes on a lot of the stuff. And it's very interesting to hear from the perspective of, like, someone who was raised in the golden age of, like, serial killing to know the perspective of, like, oh, um, back in the 70s and the 80s, there was no such thing as helicopter parenting, which is how serial killing, like, people were able to get away with murdering young kids and, like, young women because they just didn't think that you had to like fear your neighbors and stuff like that and so hearing it hearing it from that perspective it's like oh maybe i want to do my final seminar project on the representation of crime and murder in the 70s versus how it is now with like very heightened tensions and don't steal my idea (laughs) (laughs) what would that be for i have no not in school anymore (laughs) maybe not you but maybe someone else listening oh okay okay i see what you mean (laughs) That was directed. This is very aggressive. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Don't steal my idea. Um, but before we get into that, do you want to talk about? Well, I guess we could do like life updates, I guess, and then what we're watching. Yeah. So the reason why we had to move to a biweekly schedule, and the reason why this episode is currently late, is because I have moved back to my university town. Because even though all my classes are online, I work better in my own house away from my family Mm -hmm. which i think every student ever can relate to (laughs) honestly i think so so yeah Yeah. um sorry for all the the delays and the confusing timelines and everything we'll we'll get back on schedule soon i just need to get settled and it's definitely a moment of transition amongst a period of transition so it's true (laughs) I didn't think things could get any more, like, in flux than they already were, but turns out they can. Yep. And it feels weird to just live in history. Yes. Like, when you ever, whenever you hear about, like, history stories or um, you learn about history, it's always, like, a special event or it feels like that's the biggest thing that's happening. And, like, realistically, that is the thing that's happening, but also... Mm-hmm. Um, people just went on living their lives. Like, I was listening to the podcast, This Podcast Will Kill You, and I was listening to their first episode about mm. the 1918 influenza, which very much um, kind of replicates the pattern that we're seeing, or, like, was the initial pattern that we saw, th- that we're seeing with COVID-19 now. And, like, they had yeah. quarantine, they had, like, mass spread, they had two waves, the second wave was stronger than the other, and that's kind of what we're basing this quarantine pandemic on. And first of all, it was li- weird to listen to that podcast because it came out in tw- that episode came out in 2017. It was yeah. weird to hear that 
um it really does hit different in 2020 (laughs) (laughs) everything feels like it was somehow foreshadowing this but i think it's just hindsight yeah i it, it really feels like that and so um they probably had to go through the same thing of just like living their everyday lives in quarantine and i think someone was reading f scott fitzgerald's letters that he sent to a friend when he was in quarantine and it was just like life was pretty quiet on the streets it felt very weird um and that's kind of how i feel living in covid19 now is just i'm going through it knowing that there's this like tragic pandemic happening outside but Mm -hmm. sometimes i just forget that it exists because I'm just tucked away in my yeah, own you feel weirdly house right removed. now. <laughs> On that depressing note, what have you been watching? <laughs> what have I been watching? I've kind of started to come back to Grey's Anatomy again. I sort of took a break from it. Um, I don't. I can't say exactly why, but I took a break from it, and now I'm back, and I'm partway through season six. Uh, and I just watched an episode last night. That was like the the suicide is painless one. I don't know if you remember that, where Teddy has a has a patient who's gonna do doctor assisted suicide. I don't remember that episode. And like her and Mark have just spoilers. started dating. Oh yeah, sorry, spoilers. But for the sixth season of Grey's Anatomy, so I don't know. It's very specific, <laughs> and that was like ten years ago. So, yeah. um, but anyway, it was a while ago. It was a very I've been enjoying the season. Like, I realize that it's very melodramatic and stuff, but that's just Grey's, and I don't know. I kind of enjoy just seeing how storylines unfold anyway. But um, this episode was really weirdly, like, kind of badly written. (laughs) I don't know. It's, like, a very low standard, I thought. And I didn't... I don't know. It was just a very strange episode to watch. It felt like the tone was different from all of the other episodes. And... I was mm-hmm. glad when it was over, and hopefully it goes back to normal now. I think, like, for Grey's, it always just ebbs and flows because there are so many seasons and there are so many episodes. Like, yeah, there are just some parts of it where it just is terrible writing, but then yeah. you just keep watching and you push through the bad parts, yeah. and you're like, back to the good parts. And you're like, oh, this is why I fell in love with Grey's in the first yeah. place. So It was just like, there were a couple of moments when I was like, I can't believe that actor had to say that. I can't believe that had to come out <laughs> of that person's mouth. Like, it just sucks. <laughs> it just, it, it seems, it takes you out of it so much because it just seems like no real person would ever say that. That's what I've been mm-hmm. watching lately. What about you? Um, For me, uh, I recently just finished watching The Promised Neverland, which is an anime on Netflix that came out mm-hmm. on Tuesday, I think. And my roommates and I binged it all in one day because it's only 12 episodes. And it's messed up. I knew it would be messed up, <laughs> but it's like it was listed as like a psychological thriller type anime. It's not that scary, but the. Mm-hmm type of stuff that happens to these kids is a bit horrific Mm. if this seems to be like your kind of thing go ahead it was very well written it was very stressful and tense and i think it's a very good show like it's it's very highly regarded in the anime community okay 
yeah so i'm looking forward to season two coming out probably 2021 thanks to covid yeah and i probably will start reading the manga soon nice because i can't wait i feel like you're watching a new thing every time and i'm just like yeah i'm re-watching this thing or i'm still reading those books or whatever well i mean i'm still working on like the other ones like haiku hunter x hunter or hunter hunter um i'm still reading that book uh Religion for Atheists by Alain de Botton. It's just, it's for anime, it's quite easy if it's a really short season because mm-hmm. most seasons are either 12 episodes or 24 episodes, and each episode is only like 23 minutes long. Right. So you can easily binge yeah, like three series in three days. Like, right. that's the thing about Grey's Anatomy. Like, I'm, I feel like I've gotten used to much shorter seasons. Like, a lot of streaming shows have really short seasons, I find. But Grey's is like 27 mm-hmm. episodes, and I'm like, oh my god, I thought I was almost done this season. Yeah. Nope. But that's just why every season is like a roller coaster. Yeah, they're like, let's pack as much stuff into this as we can. Um, there was something else I wanted to say. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I just want to put this out there because I want people to know that I'm trying. But last episode, when I was editing it, the Glee episode, I realized how many times I said like it was ridiculous it was so extreme and I tried to edit some of them out but I find that I do it more when I'm really trying hard to express something that I'm not quite sure how I want to express it and something that I care about a lot and I really want to get it right I think I was doing that with the glee thing because I really had I've really had a lot of stuff that I wanted to express and I think I just um, got carried away or something. I guess we can get to our subject now. Sorry if this episode feels a little disjointed. I feel like we we kind of bulk recorded a little bit in August and now it's been a while since we've recorded anything and it feels kind of getting back into it. It feels a little rusty. <laughs> yeah, it's been like almost three weeks since we've last actually recorded an episode. Yeah. I don't know who wants to start. You can go first, question mark? Sure. So I feel like, I don't know, I was always kind of peripherally interested in true crime, I guess. I, but I, it was before it felt more accepted like it does now. So I kind of didn't want to go there because I felt like, I don't know. I'd get freaked out by it, and there was no one I could commiserate with in terms of talking about a murder or something like that, if that makes sense. But for the most part, I didn't really get into it. Like, I heard about things that were happening, and I kind of wanted to know a little bit more about stuff like that, but I didn't really get into it until I listened to My Favorite Murder, which my friend Annie introduced me to. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. We were driving back and forth a lot because I was um, dropping her off in Toronto on my way home from school. And um, she said, like, have you listened to this podcast? You might like it. And when she said it was called My Favorite Murder and, like, told me what it was about, I was like, oh, I don't know. Because I'm not good with horror movies or gore or anything like that. And I thought that sounds a little bit intense for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And at first it was... Because I think the certain episodes that we listened to at the beginning were, like, really intense and graphic and stuff. But then I sort of found I just really liked their personalities. They're really funny. And they have ways of talking. They kind of make fun of the murderers. Like, you understand. It was hard to explain this. It's hard to explain this to people who don't know the podcast. But, 
you get it. And they do kind of bring up systemic issues that have made prosecution hard or have created injustice for people. And I feel like it's more than just, I don't know, um, getting entertainment out of horrible things, if that makes sense. But I also Mm -hmm. found that there were certain types of episodes that I liked more than others. Like, I really like their mini-sodes because the listeners just write in random weird stuff that's happened to them. And I really liked... um, Yeah. I really like their survival stories that Karen always does um, because I like to know that that person survived and that they've been able to tell their story firsthand. It feels kind of empowering for them, even though it must be difficult. Um, And just, like, weird, mysterious stuff that's happened. So I'm not really into like hearing about serial killers and stuff like that because there's nothing really there's no good that can come of that (laughs) you know it's just awful Mm -hmm. and those people there's no redemption i don't know it's just not nice to listen to so i don't really i never watched that like ted bundy thing or anything like that i'm more interested in like, I don't know, weird, mysterious things, or, like, we watched that Aaron Hernandez documentary as a, or documentary series as a house. It was just, it's just different. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I guess through My Favorite Murder, I've gotten into a specific type of true crime, but I'm still wary of it, I guess. But, yeah, that was in, like, 20, sorry, Mm -hmm. this is a really roundabout way of (laughs) explaining it, but that was in, like, 2017 when I first got into that podcast, and I've been listening pretty faithfully ever since. Not every single episode, because some of them I'm like, I don't think I could handle that. But, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, they've been my podcast friends for a while. (laughs) Like, it's weird. I feel like I know them very well now. Dang, I didn't know you were listening since 2017. Yeah, it's been a while. It was second year when I started listening. So, like, pretty early on, I guess, in the grand scheme of things, because they started in 2016, I think. But um, I listened very um, infrequently for a while, and then I started listening more in the past couple years. Because I just really like their personalities. Yeah, it's always fun to listen to when you're, like, when I was painting my room recently, I was just mostly binge listening to episodes of my favorite murder and at nighttime i would switch to simply podlogicals i mean simply neologicals podcast Mm -hmm. because they just talk about just random daily stuff yeah i would often i would listen to episodes of my favorite murder and then i would be like i need a palate cleanser because this is too much and then i would listen to you made it weird this podcast hosted by this comedian pete holmes who is very like goofy and funny and he Mm -hmm. talks about serious stuff but it's very different (laughs) so it's kind of a nice balance (laughs) but you got into my favorite murder a lot more recently yeah i really started you you showed me or you played me an episode when we were driving home from uh school one time and uh, that was like I think episode eleven. Of I was gonna say my what episode was it? What I, I'm just interested in what I, I thought would be something that you'd be interested in listening to. I don't remember the first episode because I think we listened to one before because it was the you were listening like in the middle of listening to an episode. Right. But the first one that I remember is the Lululemon murder that happened yeah. in Canada. I've listened to that at least twice because I've played it for other people because I just find it really weird and interesting i like the one-off things because it's just Mm -hmm. like i don't know it's not as depressing as a serial killer (laughs) 
I feel like in our situation, you're more of the Karen and I'm more of the Georgia. Mm-hmm. Actually, no. We have different parts of Karen and Georgia because Karen likes to do survivor stories, but she also likes to discuss more serial killers, I feel like. But then Georgia likes to do the unsolved, but the spooky stuff. She does like the spooky stuff. Georgia, they're also a difference yeah. between me and Georgia is that she talks about how she like looks at true like uh, crime scene photos and stuff like that. And I could oh, never. Oh, yeah. I cannot do that. We tried, Joe and I, my sister and I tried to watch um, part of that, the series, The Staircase, that talks about this murder Ooh. where it's pretty, it seems pretty clear to me that the husband killed the wife. Like, he claims that it was, um, that she fell down the stairs. But anyway, they show a lot of really graphic, tr- like, crime scene photos, and it just... We couldn't, we didn't even finish the first episode because it was like, why would they show this? It's too intense. It just feels exploitative. Yeah. After a certain point. So that's a big difference between me and Georgia. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know how Georgia does it, but I'm more like Karen in that sense. But I guess we have different aspects of each of the women mm-hmm. in us. <laughs> yeah. I would agree with that. Um, yeah. So recently I've been listening to My Favorite Murder, but let's go all the way back and like, 2010 or something when i think when we went to florida it wasn't 2010 i think it was 2011 but anyways um when we went to hotels they often would play like episodes of forensic files on the Mm -hmm. hotel tv because we didn't have proper episodes of cable and my mom would be like oh my goodness i love this show so she'd just like play episodes of forensic files Mm. um around us i've never actually seen that show it's like, it's so dramatic and it's very 90s and I'm surprised that they still have episodes nowadays, but they were saying how, I just remember this one episode specifically of this guy who like, okay, we're obviously going to be talking about heavier content, so trigger warning for, I guess, sexual assault mentions and murder mentions. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a very late trigger warning. <laughs> um, I can put it in the description. There was a guy who, Okay. Uh, there's a guy who raped and murdered a woman and then set the house on fire, but because, like, they found one of his hairs on a wet towel that he, like, used to clean himself up. It's disgusting. But, um, they were able to, like, DNA trace it. But all the episodes are, like, if there wasn't any DNA testing, then we never would have found the culprit. Right. Thanks to these forensic files. Or, like, it's just very dramatic and they're just like, (laughs) oh, thanks to DNA testing, we were able to solve the crime. Yeah. And it's like, it's just very narrative. The narrator has this very distinct cadence. And I'm sure if you watch an old episode of Forensic Files, they have them on Netflix in Canada. Oh, really? Um, you'll be able to know what I'm talking about. So that was like the first introduction that I had to kind of being aware of like the uh, interest in true crime. But I was the same as you, where I was always like very iffy about listening to stories of death and murder and things like that. Like, I can't handle horror or gore or like psychological thrillers and things like that yeah um but then i started getting into the tv show or the documentary series mayday mm-hmm. which is about plane crash uh reenactments and how they kind of solve piece together like what happened to this plane crash yeah. and for me that was mostly interesting even though it was horrific like plane crashes are never um something to be sensationalized or something to be like it's never a good thing because it's a huge loss of life a lot of the time but it's fascinating to me how these investigators were able to go back and like pick up the pieces and figure out if it was a bomb on board using like 
um, residue testing or like the way that the metal is shot outwards or inwards was like an outside projectile, an inside projectile, mm-hmm. um, using cockpit voice recording, using all these different things that they're literally able to piece together the plane to try and reenact or uh, try to figure out what happened in the air because you can only have such limited information. Yeah. And so I was obsessed with that for like a good two or three years in high school. And then I started kind of getting into Criminal Minds as a TV mm-hmm. show. And which is interesting because, like, I always thought of myself as, like, very scared of this stuff. Me too. And but I... then I willingly. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I kind of stayed. I tried to watch Criminal Minds a bunch of times and it felt like it was too much for me. But I did have sort of this weird fascination with it that I kind of wanted to know. But also, I, as soon as I did see something, I was like, oh, God, I can't do this. It just is taking, it's going to such a dark place. So it is, yeah, it's kind of weird that I ended up being so into my favorite murder. But anyway, go on. (laughs) But like, yeah, I always thought of myself as someone who couldn't handle that stuff. But then I willingly watched like 10 seasons of Criminal Minds. Yeah. And like, it was a really, really good show. And I really just liked the characters a lot of the time. And although it does happen in like a heightened time frame... It's interesting how they can build a profile and they always use the term like unsub and yeah. they're de-escalating or like whatever the, they're devolving at this point. It's like, oh, they've had um, a trigger at this point and they're de-escalating yeah. now. And I'm like, oh, I understand these phrases um, and things like that. But yeah, so like that further put my interest in like murder itself, let alone just tragic events. Mm-hmm. And then so we move into... BuzzFeed Unsolved, because that was kind of the more recent Mm. series. And I really like the way that Shane and Ryan... Like, I always need uh, shows or material that kind of, like, have a comedic element, at least when it comes to true crime, because I don't like just hearing, like, these sad stories. Um, It helps a lot more when you have someone like Shane and Ryan from BuzzFeed Unsolved or Karen and Georgia from My Favorite Murder kind of bantering back and forth and bickering or like giving in Mm -hmm. comedic jokes and like lightening up the mood a little bit in between the details of the gruesome stories that have happened to these people or the mysterious stories that happened to these people because like especially for BuzzFeed Unsolved they have like creepy music in the background and they Mm -hmm. like visually how they set up their episodes on YouTube is like very dark people's faces are always like darkened out a little bit and I'm like why can't you just show me the photograph please so <laughs> yeah. I listen to BuzzFeed more unsolved more like a podcast than I do watching it as a video right that but that was always interesting to me because um of the format in the way that they presented it so it was like leading me towards enjoying my favorite murder because I had been introduced to BuzzFeed unsolved and yeah. like the bickering and the banter in between the details of the story. I think that really makes a difference. I think there are two things that I was thinking of that kind of helped me get into it and feel okay with it was not only the the personalities of the people who are presented, like the, the format in which it's presented to me, it felt um, like palatable and Mm -hmm. it felt like the people were sensitive to how people react to things and and we're just aware the whole time like my Mm -hmm. favorite murder it feels like they know that it's kind of crazy that they're talking about this stuff but they also accept and acknowledge the fact that they have this fascination and also there's like a sense of trust too like that they're gonna not go too far and I feel like you don't have that 
going into a new true crime series or movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's like what happened with the staircase for me anyway. It was like, okay, I, I now that I've seen these crime scene photos, I don't trust these filmmakers to make it okay for me to watch. I don't take the I don't trust them to not take it too far, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. So that that's... really helps. It was the timing and the 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 format in which it was presented to me, I guess. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Um but we've talked a bunch in the last little while, especially I think since you've started to get into My Favorite Murder, about mm-hmm. why there seems to be such a boom now in the, I don't know if you'd call it the true crime industry, but it seems very much like it's becoming more popular and more accepted to be into this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, especially women seem to be really, it seems to be a female dominated industry, not just in the podcast hosts and stuff like that, but in the the people who are consuming this kind of content. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just find that really interesting. And we have a bunch we are of also, theories about it. We are also two women. We also happen that, to be women. That listen to true crime mm-hmm. and are obsessed with it to some degree. Uh, we're just very intrigued by it. And so we want to know why that is, you know, because I like have mentioned this comedy special many many times before and i'll mention it again because this time it's extremely relevant but jenna friedman's uh women don't make women don't watch true crime we study it Mm -hmm. uh comedy segment i rewatched it just before we started recording Mm -hmm. and it makes me laugh again to this day especially because i i've watched recently um a ted bundy special called ted bundy falling for a killer Mm -hmm. which was promoted by karen georgia Uh, it's an amazon prime special and it details like interviews from the women's perspective and they were looking at from like a feminist perspective what was going on politically at the time mm-hmm. and how it affected all of the women um both in the cities as well as like the the friends and the relatives mm-hmm. of the women who were murdered mm-hmm. and there is a huge part of the story that is told by Liz who is right. Ted Bundy's long-term girlfriend right I watched the entire special with uh, my roommate last week, and I think it was very, very well done. Mm-hmm. I no- I don't normally watch true crime documentaries just because of what you said before. It's like you don't really know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. And we could talk further about this later, but also the format of documentary itself. It's like it's not – it presents itself to be objective, but it's wholly subjective to the perspective of the director. Exactly. And in the way that they want to present it. And so um, – I this one just sounded interesting because of the premise and because also the fact that it had Liz um, doing a lot of the interviews. It has Liz, Molly, which is Liz's little daughter, who was raised by Ted Bundy for like four years of her life right? Um, when she was a little girl. And so both of them kind of told what their experiences were like and they unfold chronologically of what um, Ted Bundy was like before he had started murdering and then afterwards and then you kind of get interviews from other like people's professors um politicians psychologists who had worked with ted bundy as well and it was very i think like mostly a story that was told by the people who had known him yeah so i thought that it was i would definitely recommend that one if you want to know anything about ted bundy's story yeah um i have never listened to the ted bundy tapes or watched like the, the zac efron film um but, yeah. 
Uh, that would be the one documentary that I would recommend just because I think it was very, very well done okay. for the most part. Yeah. Um, so there's just a lot of things that you can watch to dip your toe into it. But yeah, Jenna Friedman's special about women don't watch true crime, we study it. It's like, oh, we don't want to end up on the other side of the camera yeah. being the dead body. Just because we know statistically that women often are the victim of, like, hate crimes or not hate crimes, but just, like, violent crimes and often that are often sexual in nature. Mm -hmm. And so because we're told this narrative of, like, you have to fear going out in the middle of the night, you have to fear, um, you always walk around with another person, um, it puts us on edge. And so maybe this is one way that we try and ease our anxieties by knowing trying to understand the minds of these killers mm -hmm. and trying to prepare ourselves in case we ever come across that situation yeah definitely the preparation thing we talked about this in my uh, pop culture class in third year about why it seems that there's so many female fans of horror movies when it's often the female characters who get killed off and who are just victimized and stuff like that but yet women are okay and even like want to watch horror mm. movies like that and yeah we kind of narrowed it down to a weird kind of preparation thing or being like okay if I were in that situation how would I get out of it or at least I know mm. not to do that or something like that even if it's a ridiculous situation it's a weird form of almost comfort it sounds weird it to is. say but it sort of is that way for women because we're so we're so scared of going outside at night and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I also think it's, maybe this is even darker, but sort of like an adrenaline rush in a way that's sort of like, well, I can get this adrenaline rush, but it's not me having to experience. It's like a weird, that's kind of what mm -hmm. I said before, but like a form of comfort, I guess, in a way. Yeah. It's like danger, but comfort. Yeah, there was an article that I was just reading from bodyandsoul.com.au, so it's an Australian mm. website, um, but it's titled Why You're Obsessed with True Crime According to a Psychologist, and oh. the article's by Cassandra Green, but she said there's two things. So from a psychological perspective, it makes sense because our brains are hardwired to see patterns even if there aren't any patterns. Right. And so we want to kind of come to the conclusions to all these things. So when you hear a story about a murder that's unsolved you want to fit together the pieces and put together the pieces mm -hmm. um, to figure out what happened. Um, because you're only really left with the evidence that is provided. Mm -hmm. And so um, that it makes sense on that front. And she also said, you're not actually like a psychopath. It's just you get a pleasure from being able to explore, but from like a safe comfort of your own home type of right. thing. So like you put yourself in this moment of discomfort of like learning something about like the worst of humanity yeah but in the end you know that you're safe in your own house right it's sort of like part. entering this world that you've you're kind of just curious about but you don't actually want to enter mm -hmm. it in person because it, it's very dangerous and very dark to experience it first yeah 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 it's interesting too that um you said that you, people kind of want to be involved and, like, figure it out. I was reading this Vulture article mm -hmm. about, um, well, what's it called? It's called The Ethical Dilemma of Highbrow True Crime. So it was talking about the idea of 
all the new true crime documentaries and docuseries that have come out more recently on podcasts Mm -hmm. that um, kind of market themselves as, yeah, highbrow, intellectual, like high quality, well-written, well-put-together content. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, in a way, that article's saying it's kind of more dangerous because it's providing a lot of the same stuff that, like, a Forensic Files episode might provide, mm-hmm. like, the same sort of, um, like, horrible, I don't know, events and, like, gore and stuff like that, but it's um, marketing itself as, as very intellectual, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. It can just be dangerous in that way, but um, that's what the article's about. But it mentions the uh, the podcast Serial, which is, we've talked about this a little bit before because I was saying that I was listening to it, mm-hmm. but it's um, this journalist, Sarah Koenig, who is kind of going back through, uh, it's not an unsolved crime, but it's a crime where, that's been contested a lot. It was a murder of a young, um, a teenage girl in the 90s, I think, and people thought that it was her ex-boyfriend and he was convicted but there are so many mm-hmm. unanswered questions, so she's kind of going through it and in real time with each episode, trying to piece together what may have happened and kind of hitting roadblocks and talking to people who might be witnesses and stuff like that. Um, and the article talks about how that's such a big thing for the audience. They really want to feel like they're involved. And, like, Sarah Koenig is a journalist, but she's not, a, like, a full-on detective, mm-hmm. so she only has so many skills so it's kind of like she a lot of the approaches that she takes are approaches that a regular person might take so it really puts you in her shoes and you're kind of trying to piece together the crime in real time with her so that's a big draw for people to feel like they can get involved Mm -hmm. and um feel like they're figuring it out yeah that reminds me of uh a couple things there is on the network exactly right which is karen and georgia's podcast network they have a series called murder squad by jensen and Mm -hmm. holmes and it's basically that concept where they take unsolved cases and they have the internet sleuths like help them try and find evidence towards um finding the perpetrators of these murders and i think recently they said on their most recent season that they found some evidence that is currently being um tested in uh, like DNA tested yeah. right now. And so like there's actual change that can be done by internet sleuth. Mm-hmm. There was a story recently about a person who won the lottery that Karen, I think was talking about um, and how his like uh, he was murdered because people wanted him for his money and some internet sleuth took it upon themselves just to try and find like record, like public records um, to condemn the person who had killed him. Mm. And so there's a lot that can be done. And they're like a lot of just guerrilla and investigative um, journalists who are working out of their own pocket, like in their free time to find justice, to bring justice to people mm-hmm. who like aren't sensationalized in the media. Cause those are the ones that need the most help a lot of the times. Yeah. And so there's a lot of podcasts um, who are focusing on unsolved murders of people who aren't like, I forget what they're called, but it, everything is on the exact right network that I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, there is so much more and it, it really puts you, makes you feel like you can do something to help rid the world of this terribleness or at yeah. least come 
uh, to some sort of closure, provide some sort of closure for these families. Yeah. And it's it's fascinating that, like, there are detectives sometimes working 60 years after uh, the murderer had committed his crimes. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not 60, but, like, there are people who were still working on it. Like, the reason why the Golden State Killer was caught was because... Uh, people kept working on his case continuously after yeah. he had stopped killing, and they managed to find him. And it's like it's fascinating to know um, that people are trying to do good out in the world, and we're trying to put good where a life was taken away, or where like yeah. the worst thing that could ever happen to someone has happened. Yeah, I think that's a complicated thing too, though, because I I agree that it's good that people care so much and that. Um, kind of public uh, pressure is making people keep investigating until they find an answer and that kind of thing. And that there are, especially podcasts like Karen and Georgia's, one thing that I really like about what they do is that they advocate for um, like websites like End the Backlog and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. that um, push to solve or to push to, um, I think it's to identify unidentified victims of different crimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that stuff is really positive. But I, this Vulture article talks about how some of that um, serious highbrow crime can be problematic sometimes because people will want to get involved, but maybe in ways that they shouldn't. Like, I think internet sleuthing mm-hmm. is cool, but it's also like sometimes these people will reach out to people who are actually involved and try to, like, mess around with the... With the their lives and I don't know it just gets a little bit and they decide who they think is guilty and stuff like that based on this Mm -hmm. thing that they've watched and an example that this article had was that making a murderer that um series Mm -hmm. that came out in 2016 I think it was and talked about this guy who was supposedly wrongly convicted for something I've never actually watched it but apparently it omitted important evidence because it had a certain narrative that it wanted to portray of him being a wrongly convicted innocent person so that can be really dangerous because people are like oh this is very legit and intellectual Mm -hmm. and they take it very seriously and they have a certain idea of what happened but they don't know the whole story so that can be kind of scary and it, it goes along with what i was saying before about the documentaries and how like they present themselves to be objective Mm-hmm. But in reality, like, it's all yeah. up to the narrative that the director wants to create. Like, this is a sidebar, but talking about, like, the Taylor Swift documentary that we had watched, Miss Americana, mm-hmm. um, obviously when you have, like, a director who is, like, probably friends with Taylor Swift, they're not going to try and put her in a bad light. Yeah, And so they're going to try and show her... The more emotional sides, the more light sides. And maybe that is how she is. Or maybe they are just, like, choosing to omit other things that she yeah. she happens to do. Or, like, it's it's all up to the director yeah. and up to, like, the editing and the filmmaking to create a narrative. And, like, it made me... Like, that documentary class that I took last year really made me think again about the credibility of documentaries and how you really have to look back and remember that this was created by someone. This was directed, edited, put together by someone who, no matter how objective or how, like, um, distant, how distant you want to be from the subject matter of the story, it's always going to be biased in some way. Humans want to create a narrative and these filmmakers are not immune to that. So they kind of decide what narrative they want for the film. And 
just everything revolves around that, which can be a problem. Yeah, and it's... And to make it look nicer, you want to have a conclusion at the end. You don't want to leave it hanging. You want to kind of have it presented to you in a package so it Mm -hmm. tells you exactly what you need to know instead of you coming to conclusions for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think... I guess the lesson... (laughs) for people who watch true crime and stuff would be just to watch and listen critically and Mm -hmm. try, especially for unsolved cases, just try not to just go along with whatever is told to you, I guess. I guess just like, or try not to get too invested in it because there's like uh, internet sleuth. There have been things that they've been able to accomplish, but there's not that much that you can do. I guess it sounds awful, but you kind of have to leave it up to the experts in a lot of ways. There's things that you can do to push the experts because obviously there's Definitely. a lot of corruption within these oh, yeah. these detective agencies. And, oh my god, yeah. Yeah, and, and the police things. And so you can definitely help push, but um, I don't know. It's it's definitely... We're saying definitely a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think it's bad to have an interest in true crime. I think uh, if you're able to handle it, mm-hmm. you are just shown that not everything is good not everything like this is how life is i don't know there probably were serial killers that existed before the golden age of serial killing in the 1970s yeah we know that um it's just it's become more prevalent Mm -hmm. and maybe we've just been paying more attention because we value this is weird to say but we value human life a lot more it's not like you have nine children with the hopes of some of them surviving. Right, it's not like that's the, the, the 1700s or the 1600s. It's like yeah. every human life is valuable now. And so we just want to make sure that people don't have to go through the horrors of losing someone that you love mm-hmm. before that they were meant to die. Yeah. Um, to bring it back to my favorite murder, the Vulture article <laughs> talked about... Um, the new kind of true crime content, which they called post-true crime content, mm-hmm. which is things like My Favorite Murder that's kind of, it's self-aware, and it comments on, like, in their live shows, they always say, um, this is kind of our disclaimer, that we understand that this is very dark stuff, and it's painful and everything, but we just can't help it that how we deal with this kind of thing is to talk about it, and mm-hmm. to, like, deal with it with humor, because that's how we kind of cope with it. And we have to acknowledge that it's there kind of thing. Yeah. And I think it, I've memorized that part of the right, live, yeah, live shows. Yeah. It's a good, I think it's good that they say that because that is, that's my perception of their show. But maybe some people who don't know it as well or something think that it is insensitive and stuff. But I really do think that they have positive intentions. And mm-hmm. they also do highlight a lot of injustices. I think they talk about investigations that have gone wrong because there's been corruption in the police or racism or sexism Mm -hmm. or like uh, discrimination against sex workers or something like that and they talk about causes that are important like end the backlog like I mentioned earlier so I really do think I feel like I've learned stuff and I've become more aware and more critical because of listening to that podcast so I think Mm -hmm. there are definitely very positive true crime things out there and even the ones that are silly or overly dramatic i think that you can watch them as long as you watch them with a critical eye like i said before yeah 
And, like, what I appreciate about Karen and Georgia is that they have their corrections corner and they're mm-hmm. not afraid to be wrong. And mm-hmm. it's almost, like, part of their brand yeah. that they're possibly going to get stuff wrong. It's like, don't take us but... too seriously. Like, this is just what, this is just how we go through our obsession with this. Yeah, I think my uh, my favorite murder is a good kind of segue into the deeper stuff of true crime because they just tell you, like, the basic details. They always say, oh, there's so much more... Um, that that you need to know about or like there's so much more detail there's so many things more that we are omitting just because of time mm-hmm. but you can go listen to this podcast you can watch this documentary you can read yeah. this book to go it's all in true. depth and there are there is so much content out there of like because it was always weird to me because i had only listened to karen and georgia's podcast that there are podcasts that just do like a full series like a four episode or ten episode series on one murder yeah because there's just that much there's that you so can much talk there. about yeah so i think they have the fact that they are willing to be wrong and like they want you to correct them mm-hmm. on social media uh is like really honorable on them that's mm-hmm. something that we should be practicing more in all aspects of life not only just in true crime yeah. not only like we we can't i feel like we, what we're learning is that nothing is really truly objective yeah uh no news no anything like that and so we have to take it in through multiple sources but being able to say that i'm wrong and i have learned from this kind of thing is like something extremely difficult and the fact that they just casually do it on their podcast is like it's so so admirable to me (laughs) yeah it really is i think they're really good role models for that kind of Mm -hmm. thing like graciously being wrong and kind of like committing to getting better and also drawing yeah. attention to things that people didn't know about. I don't know. I was just, I feel like this is just a love letter to my favorite murder now, but <laughs> we love you, Karen yeah. and Steven and pets, all the pets, <laughs> all the pets. This, I feel like there's a lot more that we could always talk about when it comes yeah. to uh, true crime and things like that. But this is just kind of our thoughts, yeah. our introductions and our current standings about true yeah. crime. And we're not going to stop. <laughs> we're not going to stop for anybody. I feel like um, <laughs> we. this is something that we have been talking about, the two of us, a fair bit. And it just seemed like it was something that we wanted to talk about on the podcast because it's something that's kind of important to both of us. Or mm-hmm. at least currently, we've both been listening to a lot of this, this podcast and thinking about yeah. this whole like true crime world more so. Mm-hmm. So um, anyone who has opinions, please shout them at us in a <laughs> polite way. <laughs> yeah, let us know if you guys are into true crime or not into true crime. If you're not, I don't know why you're listening to this full episode, but I appreciate it anyway. Yeah. Well, on that note, we don't have a sign off like we'll Karen never have a and sign Georgia, off. unfortunately. Yes. But. We'll figure it out as we go but yeah we'd love to hear from you and uh welcome back sorry that this episode is late but Uh we'll be doing bi-weekly every other week from now on so yes thanks for sticking around and we'll talk to you next time bye Bye. (laughs) we did it it. (laughs)